is our number two of the John and Leah show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. This program is broadcast on 23 different radio stations throughout this formerly great nation of ours. And in the next two hours, we still have a ton of news to get to and also some pretty bizarre stories from my uh, actual real life, including my trip to Pennsylvania to face uh, the most bogus charges in the history, maybe in the state, if not the country, in a preliminary hearing, and how that was linked to my never-ending efforts to uh, get my wife pregnant. I'll explain as we move (laughs) along. In the next segment, I believe, if not the next segment, but very shortly after that, we will discuss that ridiculous stunt by the uh, Democrats in the House of Representatives on the issue of gun control. But first, uh, Leah, I want to do, I guess, officially our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016, and there's a ton to talk about this week. First, I want to set the record straight on something, and I'm sure this isn't the first, nor this will be the last time. But this week I got, in particular, a lot of flack and grief from Trump fans accusing me because I'm tough on Donald Trump, meaning I actually notice what a fraud he is, and I prove it on an almost daily basis because there's so much evidence of it, that somehow because I tell the truth about Donald Trump, I am pro-Hillary. I am a Hillary supporter, and I might as well come out and admit it. Well, uh, if we look at your tweet, uh, it, you're, you send out the same tweet and you change a few words every 20 minutes. You'll find it's so annoying. I'm like, I'm going to have to put you on mute because you'll find something about Donald Trump, and then you'll just beat and beat and beat and beat. It's like, oh, my God. Because there's so— That's where that's coming from. It's like O.J. Simpson's guilt. There's so much evidence. It takes a lot of tweets. I mean, But you never tweet anything about Hillary. That's not true. That's first of all, that's not true. But second of all, here's why there's 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 two elements to this that are really important. One of the reasons why I don't spend a lot of time attacking Hillary is there's plenty of other conservatives that will do that. And that's fine. That's great. But because the election got canceled, OK, it, it, it got forfeited. The, the Trump forces forfeited this general election in a rational world when Donald Trump was made the nominee. So therefore, since other people who were too stupid to heed my warnings decided to forfeit the game, I'm sorry that I'm not going to spend a lot of time and effort fighting that game because it's lost. More importantly, here's why I am not the Hillary supporter in this. Forget about the fact that I've been part of two major documentary films that rip Hillary to shreds, including the infamous uh, Citizens United case movie that was a uh, a biography of Hillary Clinton. My name is in the credits there as a writer-researcher. So my my street cred on Hillary Clinton criticism is as good as anybody's. But more importantly than that, guess what I've never done, Leah? I have never lavishly praised Hillary Clinton publicly. I have never given her big amounts of money on multiple occasions. And I have never invited her to my wedding and then posed for pictures laughing my ass off with her and her scumbag husband. (laughs) Guess who has? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. (laughs) has done all of those things. John Ziegler has not. So if you want to talk about who the Hillary supporter is, it's Donald Trump, not me. Okay, now let's go back to Donald Trump's really bad week. I actually think that is in a bizarre way, 
that the Brexit vote and his disaster in Scotland saved him from what could have been a bigger disaster because it, it wiped away what happened in the first couple of days of the week. Because what happened in the first couple of days of the week, I, I think, was far more cancerous to his campaign. We learned, first of all, he fired his campaign manager. Uh, which, time. which, well, fine, whatever, but certainly not a sign that all is well within the Trump camp when just a couple of weeks before your convention, you're firing your campaign manager. And then, by the way, he's getting hired by CNN, which is a whole other story and just outrageous because not only is he still a Trump supporter, he signed a, a, a confidentiality agreement, yes. which doesn't even allow him to criticize Donald Trump. So Smart. Okay, but how in the world does CNN – I'm talking about CNN's part. It is smart from the Trump standpoint to have him out there. But how does CNN get away with hiring a guy who is not allowed legally to criticize the guy he's there to comment on? And by the way, it's worse than that. They got sued together in the Michelle Fields case, and they are being represented by the same attorney – so, the, so presumably Trump is paying his legal costs. So he not only has this agreement that he, he made with Trump not to, to speak ill of him, he's linked with him in a lawsuit. So Trump has him by the balls there, too. All right, that's that's another aside. So, so he fires Corey Lewandowski as campaign manager. But we also learned about the financials of his campaign this week. And this, to me, Leah, I actually think Trump got a huge break, and I don't think the news media – made nearly enough of this because there's numerous aspects to this that should have destroyed Trump. Number one, we learned he's got all of $1.3 million on hand in cash as right. at the end of last month. Now, that's ridiculous. That's he just, hasn't spent any. Well, be, well that's Which not... Is, uh, I mean, he, he hasn't spent spend. any and all he has is a million. Right. He's got a million and a, a point three, I think it was, in cash on hand, which is... It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, by the way, if you, even if you weren't a billionaire, that would be flat out ridiculous. I mean, that is, that's the amount of money that city council people have in big cities on hand. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at how much, you know, somebody, how much money somebody has. I always look at it this way. This is a bizarre analogy, but I think you'll see the value to it. If my four-year-old daughter, Grace, got kidnapped and there was you know, a ransom that was being asked for, how much money could I raise to get her out within 24 or 48 hours? Oh, my goodness. Without, my kid wouldn't have a shot. Well, <laughs> okay. But the point is, Leah, that – and I'm in no way, shape, or form a rich person. But under those circumstances, I could get more than $1.3 million in a couple of days. That's how pathetic Trump's war chest is. And this is the guy whose entire campaign was based upon the notion that he's so rich, he's going to self-fund, he doesn't need anybody contributing to his campaign. Well, that's bad enough that – He's not putting up what like he claimed that he would on the financial end. That's that's bad enough. But right, because most uh, candidates end up borrowing. Well, you just let or, me, you know, lending money to themselves. OK, well, this is this leads me to what should have been the death knell for Donald Trump. Uh, and I think it, and frankly, in a rational world, there would have been a revolt within the Republican Party this week and, and the nomination would have been taken from him. And here's why. Because he did. Loan. He, he didn't give. He loaned about $40 million to his campaign, that campaign which now only has $1.3 million. 
Now, why is that important? Because we now found out that not only does he only have $1.3 million at the end of last month, but that he has spent the money that he did spend, a lot of it was spent on Trump-owned properties. Now, you might say, well, John, that makes sense, right? Well, it does, except for the fact that he loaned his campaign his money. If, if, this is a big if, if he were to not forgive that loan, I'll get to that in a second, because there's been some news on that, but if he were not to forgive that loan, effectively, what would happen is he would have been using people's money who he, who gave to his campaign, people in rural Tennessee scrubbing together $100 instead of giving Christmas gifts to their grandkids to send it to a billionaire who they support for president, he would effectively have been using that money to spend it on his own properties for a profit. And if you think this is just some sort of coincidence, in 2000, Donald Trump was actually quoted as saying he could be the only guy ever to run for president and make a profit from it. So ah. don't so don't tell me this isn't something Trump's thought about. Now he you might have put a server in his basement. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I you didn't make some big cash. That's how you do it. Here's here's the thing though. Okay, so the key to this whole deal is does he forgive the loan? If he forgives the loan, then that eliminates this massive conflict of interest and frankly a, an enormous ethical problem that that he caused by spending campaign money on his own properties and then not contributing to his campaign nearly as much as he implied that he would. There was a story out this week from his campaign that he has now forgiven the debt. Now, ordinarily, I'd say, okay, good. That's fine. We've taken care of that problem. You don't Le believe it. I do not believe it. That's how pathetic this has gotten. I do not believe it. And here's why I don't believe it. Number one, if it was, if it was real, it would have come from Donald Trump himself on video. That's true. It did not. It came from the campaign on background. Now, that's plausibly deniable. What's going to happen, I believe, is if Trump gets crushed here, and it's clear he's not going to win, he's going to make sure he doesn't. He's going to renege on that, and he's not going to forgive the debt, because that way he won't be out of money, and he's going to screw all of us in the Republican Party by repaying himself for money that people are giving him now. And that, But, but at that point, once he realizes he can't win, we got, and he's already the nominee, there's nothing we can do about it. Because the damage will have already been done, and he doesn't care about the Republican Party at that point. He's never going to be—he's 70 years old. He just wants his $40, 50000000 million back. But more importantly, you just—you nailed the real issue here. That's how little trust I have in our Republican presidential nominee. I yeah. think he's lying about forgiving the debt that his campaign claimed. In, in the past— that would be a no-brainer. Oh, the campaign said he forgave the debt. He must have it's forgiven no the debt. problem. It happened, right. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Trump doesn't have the same equation because Trump doesn't give a crap about the Republican Party. And at 70 years old, once this is done, he doesn't care about the repercussions. He's just going to get his money back. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't trust any news that comes out, so there's no surprise to me. <laughs> oh, God. But in a rational world, the fact that he's effectively using donations 
to spend on his own properties to make a profit and and may or may not forgive that debt. So that, he so he spent all 40 million except for the one? How much did he spend? No, no, no. he spent his campaign has spent I think it's somewhere in the 50 million dollar range that his campus campaign has spent from the beginning. Of course he got 2 billion dollars in free media advertising. He did. He, he now he he contributed most of that money that they spent, but he also received over 10 million dollars in contributions through his okay. website. And so All right. That's why this issue is, is a, to me, is of ethical importance. But that got basically put in the back burner, partially because his campaign said, no, 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 he's forgiving the debt, which I don't believe, and also because this European Union thing came out. Correct. So that leads us to the polls. When we come back, we got to take our weekly look at the polls on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. One other note, Leah, on Trump's lack of money. Not only does this indicate, as I've been saying all along, he's not that rich. It also goes to really why he won the primaries, which we've said numerous times, is because of this $2 billion in free media advertising he got because he was good for ratings. This is a weird phenomenon in the news media, Leah. Maybe you'll agree with this. Maybe you don't. But I think if the media knew he wasn't that rich, they wouldn't have given him all the free advertising, for lack of a better term. Because in a weird way, the news media felt like, well, it doesn't matter if we give Trump this time. He could just buy it on his own if he wanted to. So let's. it's good for us to give it to him, so we're just going to give it to him. If he was known to be poor... I don't think they would have given it to him because they would have felt some sort of ethical problem there because, let's say, you know, John Kasich. If they had given Kasich, not only was he bad for ratings, but if they had given Kasich $2 billion in free advertising, they would have thought they were funding his campaign because he clearly didn't have the money to do himself. You see what I'm saying? Well, I mean, the reason why Donald Trump is so popular is because of the uh, idea that he's really, really rich and successful. Of course. It's all a myth. It's all a myth. And we now found out from his financial filings that it's a myth that he's going to be able to self-fund this thing. It's a myth uh, that he's going to somehow win over Democrats. We know from the polling this week, which has been outrageously bad, catastrophically horrible, although some of the the key state polls are still close. I think that that's just a matter of time before they'll – uh, dovetail with the the national polls, which are just catastrophic for Trump right now. So basically what we have here, Leah, is a situation where if we look at this from the, the bachelor, bachelorette perspective, that the GOP is a woman who got engaged to a rich bad guy that they fell in love with, thinking he was rich, found out he's now... He's a Ponzi schemer. <laughs> found out now he's not rich. Oh, by the way, he's a megalomaniac and insane, but we're too embarrassed now to call off the wedding. That's what oh. the GOP is right now. We we know we got a loser, but we're too embarrassed to to cancel the wedding. That's what it is now with Donald Trump, and it's pathetic because he will be the nominee unless he doesn't want to be, which is still possible, you know. So you're telling me there's a chance. More when we come back.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. We move on to other news of the week, which was dominated for um, about two days by an obvious stunt put on by the Democrats in the House of Representatives, where they decided that they could take political and financial advantage of the Orlando story uh, by uh, trying to create chaos in the House with regard to a proposed gun control bill. Leah, give us the uh, details on what happened there. That's right. It was uh, 25 and a half hours, uh, but House Democrats finally ended their sit-in protest on the House floor. It was a disingenuous and political stunt. They tried to demand a vote on gun control legislation that had already died in the Senate. Speaker Paul Ryan could not get that House under control. House be in order. The chair wishes to make an announcement regarding the decorum in the House chamber. The chair appreciates that members will differ on matters of policy and will seek to express those differences. But the chair would hope that the business of the House could be conducted in a fashion that that respects positively on the dignity and the decorum of this institution to which we all belong. Well... With that, the Dems broke into song. Yes, they are singing We Shall Overcome. Now, interestingly, Paul Ryan had C-SPAN turn off their cameras because it's customary when the House is not in session. But the Democrats plopped on the floor of the House, broadcast it on social media. They were using Periscope and Facebook. And C-SPAN then somehow picked up one of those feeds and broadcast it. So it's safe to say C-SPAN no longer considered unbiased. All right, and so obviously the end of this situation, uh, there was a, a new gun control law that will, will that was passed that will <laughs> end all of our problems with mass shootings. Is that accurate? And no. However, uh, when they come back from the break, they promise to pick up right where they left off. So you mean this didn't accomplish anything? No. Except raise money for Democrats who are running yes, for re-election. Yes, it did accomplish that. Uh, yeah, which, by the way, they, they sent out, I believe, at least six, maybe more than that, fundraising emails during this sit-in. You bet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm, I'm legitimately saddened to say that one of the leaders of this effort was my good friend, Congressman John Yarmouth, the Democrat from Louisville, Kentucky. He's uh, completely on the dark side now. Well, you know, I chided him a little bit via text. But I purposely didn't call him about this because I think we would have gotten in a fight. Uh, yes. Because um, this was really bad. And John is better than this. Uh, John knows that the civil liberty problems with the bill that the Democrats were fundraising off of are enormous. Yes. Uh, basically, what was being proposed was the idea that if you were on the no-fly list or even lists that are easier to get on than that – you would not be allowed to buy a gun or you would be very restricted in buying a gun. That is flat out. It's just flat out ridiculous. From a civil liberty standpoint, which liberals used to believe in. Not anymore. Liberals used to believe. You know, that's the bizarreness of this whole thing. You know, conservatives are the ones that are supposed to be, 
you know, so anti-terrorism that they're racist somehow. Well, these lists, by liberal standards, are actually racist because if you got a funny name, there's a much better chance of you getting on it. But liberals yeah. don't care because this was a political winner for them in a time when they decided, hey, you know, we got we're in the post-Orlando world. We can raise money. It's an election year, and most importantly, we know with moral certitude that the referees, i.e. the media, are going to let us do whatever we want. Because if the situation was exactly reversed, you flip everything about what happened here. You put the Democrats in control of the House, and you have Republicans. You could even take the exact same bill, and Republicans are touting it, and Democrats uh, you know, basically pull the plug on the whole thing, and C-SPAN goes off. That would have been it. That would have been the end of it. Oh, because, for sure. Because the media would not have given any traction to Republicans trying to pull such an obvious political stunt for financial political gain. And boy, did the media back the Democrats. In fact, I think even the Democrats were surprised how much the media backed the Democrats on this. And it's so incredible. This is not some sort of, you know, a lot of times media coverage isn't that important. In a situation like this, it's everything. It's like the weather. So the Democrats had this wind at their back. They're going downhill. It's sunny out. If the situation had been reversed, Republicans would have been going uphill into the wind, into a snowstorm or hail, all because the media would have had none of it. Instead, this whole thing became basically a commercial for Facebook and Twitter. Yes. And, I mean, and because nothing was happening. But here's just a sample. This is a montage put together by the, the guys at the Daily Beacon, which is a conservative website, a montage of some of the cable news coverage. By the way, uh, we, we have no proof of this, but I don't believe any actual orgasms occurred during <laughs> the coverage of this, although some of the people you're about to listen to may have come pretty darn close. Here oh, is yes. that montage of the media coverage of the Democratic sit-in in the House of Representatives. Democrats today seize the floor of the House of Representatives. Let's start with just how unprecedented this is. This is truly unprecedented. Democrats' historic sit-in on the House floor. A historic takeover of really a historic protest. Historic. A historic sit-in protest. Turned into an historic morning. House Democrats on hour 22 of their historic sit-in. on Historic moment. Make no mistake, this was dramatic. What really stopped me, Congressman Israel, was watching John Lewis, Congressman Lewis, delivering an impassioned speech this morning. Literally using tactics that you developed during the civil rights movement. How extraordinary is it that this is what it has taken? Now you see him literally sitting with your colleagues on the floor. Like nothing we have ever seen before. Something like this never happens. I can't remember anything like this. Which to me should be the recipe of getting a vote. To give you guys the next Lewis and Clark moniker because of your work in finding this particular path tonight. It's almost like we took a step back in time. Truly one of the most dramatic demonstrations on the House floor in modern American history. It was really something to watch overnight. A day of an extraordinary sit-in by House Democrats. They're extraordinary pictures. All right. Congresswoman, we've never seen anything like it. It's something we've just never seen before. Uh, two requests for you, Senator. Uh, number one is uh, stay in touch with us as this continues over the course of the evening. And number two is please hydrate. Were you surprised at how large this got? I mean, Kim Kardashian was tweeting about it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> if we tried What to... a bunch of morons. <laughs> Idiots! Oh. 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 
if we tried, if we tried to mock that, we could not possibly do it. If you tried to create a parody of the news coverage of that Democratic sit-in, you could not do it. Now, there's a couple things motivating it. One is the overt political bias. Okay, there's no question the media is pro-gun control, pro-Democrats, anti-Republicans. So therefore, inherently, they're already getting hot and bothered just by the subject matter. But but later on in that montage, I think you see part of what drove this that it's not necessarily political. How many of those quote-unquote reporters, I won't use, even use the word journalists because they don't exist anymore. No, they're not. How many of those uh, spokesmodels, which is a better term, how many of the spokesmodels referred to this, we've never seen this before? That is what really drove a lot of this, is that, oh my gosh, we're being allowed through social media to see something that we're not supposedly allowed to see. So in, right. inherently, ooh, that's more valuable to us. We're being prevented from seeing it, even though nothing's happening. Nothing. There is nothing actually occurring. But because the C-SPAN cameras were turned off by the mean, nasty Republicans, even though that's exact. By the way, when the Republicans did something somewhat similar under Democratic reign, they not only turned off C-SPAN, they turned off the lights in yep. the House. The Republicans didn't do that. But because... C-SPAN was turned off, and because we now have Periscope and we now have Facebook Live, then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, look, we can actually see these people we would never normally pay attention to sitting on the floor of the house. And that was a bad sight, too, because they're all fat, (laughs) okay, all of them, and they're rolling around on the floor. It was ugly. The whole thing was embarrassing. Every single person involved in that embarrassed themselves, including my friend John. Uh, And it it was the worst uh, that politics can and media can possibly offer to no end. There was not even an end to this. And again, I cannot emphasize enough, the actual concept of the bill is not just a little bit wrong. It's wrong regardless of if you're a liberal or a conservative. I guarantee you that most of the liberals there would not have wanted that bill to pass because of the civil liberty issues that I already referred to. Because we cannot, this is really important, folks, if we allow, which Democrats were claiming they wanted, but they really didn't, they just wanted the issue to bitch about, if we allow the government on a subjective basis with no due process to put you on a list where you at least temporarily, if not permanently, have your constitutional rights taken away, we have no constitutional rights. That's we have right. none. It's confiscation. They could put everybody in Alabama on the list. Absolutely <laughs> they could because it's it's subjective. Yes. And, and by the way, it's also sometimes it's worse than subjective. Sometimes it's accidental. There have been numerous, not just, you know, lightning strike situations, but numerous circumstances where people are put on these lists by accident. And it takes years Forever. and millions of dollars in one case I read about to get off the list. You can except if you're one of the terrorists, because <laughs> the Orlando terrorists went on and then came right off. And uh, the Sarnayev brothers, that's right, they were on. But, hey, cleared by the FBI, right. you're off the list. Well, I'll take your word on that because I, I don't know that for a fact. But I, It is I, true. I, okay, well, regardless, the reality is those lists are not 
by God, okay? These are, we, these are not fail-proof situations, and it sets a horrendous precedent. And even the Democrats know that. That's why this was such, you know, so utterly... It's just flat-out ridiculous. ...and embarrassing. All right, when we come back, two major Supreme Court decisions that I want to talk about on the John and Leah Show. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Leah, there were not one but two major Supreme Court decisions this week, one involving immigration, the other affirmative action. Give us the details on those. That's right. Uh, The immigration decision, some major rulings. This one was a deadlocked vote 4-4 on President Obama's executive order of amnesty. So this court upheld the earlier decision that the president had overstepped his authority by stopping the deportation of millions of illegals. President Obama wasn't happy about that. Today's decision is frustrating to those who seek to grow our economy and bring a rationality to our immigration system. Now, he also said, interestingly, that having to deport illegals takes us further from the country we aspire to be. Also, the Supreme Court upholding race-based admissions at the University of Texas. The court, four to three vote, saying that within the larger framework that shapes their admissions, inclusion of race as a factor isn't bias. Now, the university considers that race uh, among many, many factors, and it's only regarding the last quarter of incoming freshman classes. All right, let's take these uh, two in order. First, immigration. Now, I, I know that some people looked at this as a uh, maybe one of the last gasps of a semi-conservative uh, Supreme Court where they did not overturn the lower court ruling and they ruled against Obama, and this was actually a good thing. I actually don't see this as such a great thing. Not because the, the ruling wasn't right. The ruling was absolutely right, and the media coverage of it was, of course, abysmal because the media is completely in the tank on this issue, just like they are on gun control. But the reality is this was not really about immigration. This was much more about executive authority and whether or not President Obama had the authority to do what he did, and they found correctly that he did not. As far as the issue of immigration is concerned, I actually think Obama wanted to lose on this because had they won it would have taken the steam out of what whatever happened once hillary becomes president with a potentially democratic senator uh, so now we're actually in a, and in my opinion leah we're in a worse spot now almost no matter what happens in the presidential election on immigration because of this ruling the, the, there will be continued energy towards amnesty. You're going to have President Hillary, almost certainly, likely with a Democratic Senate, which means our ability to block whatever they want to do is going to be greatly diminished. Over. Right? Over. And, and by the way, if by chance, if some miracle happens and Trump wins, we now know for sure, 100%, 
Trump can't do what he wants to do on immigration because the Supreme Court has backed a ruling saying the president doesn't have the authority. So just because so Obama doesn't have the authority to do it in one direction, Trump's not going to have the authority to do it in the other direction. Not that he would have the balls to do it anyway because he's already basically telegraphed that he wasn't going to really deport anybody. And as you've already said earlier in this uh, show, probably isn't going to build the wall either. The other element of this, which is disingenuous and kind of like the whole gun control thing where people actually want to lose because they'd rather have bitching rights, is I guarantee you there's a huge chunk of the illegal aliens who are impacted or would have been impacted by this who are actually glad that this thing didn't pass. And here's why. They don't really fear deportation. That's, no, they don't. That, that's the premise of this whole thing. Obama's like, oh, they're in the shadows and they, they live in fear. Bull crap! They don't live in fear anymore. Maybe once they did, maybe some of the older ones still do out of habit. But the reality is they know they're not going to get deported. And under the current circumstances, they don't have to pay taxes. So right. if, if this had actually, if Obama had gotten his way, some of them would have actually had to pay taxes. So I guarantee you some of them are like celebrating, at least the smart ones that know they're never going to get the deported. And now they don't have to pay taxes. And Hillary's going to be president and give them a free amnesty coming up. I mean, so I don't see how this was a great win. I mean, am I missing something? Well, and you know, the other thing that's going on behind the scenes, that lower court uh, ruling that SCOTUS took up, apparently... The president and his minions have been violating it anyway because they uh, are not deporting anyone. And they've been pulled into the same court three times. The last time the judge in the court told the government's lawyers they had to go Take an ethics class. <laughs> well, sh- that's pretty funny. Well, the, the re- of course they're not deporting anybody. They never were going to be deported. That's why the entire premise of this is ridiculous. You've, yes. you've, you've given people the ability to, to not be deported who were never going to be deported in the first place because there's no political will to deport them in the Obama administration. Now, as far as the affirmative action thing. This is the first big decision where we really felt the loss of Antonin Scalia. Because if Scalia had been there, this entire vote would have been different. And almost certainly this thing, at the very least, it would have been stayed. If not, uh, our side would have won, which is anti-affirmative action. Kennedy, who previously has been anti-affirmative action, completely went over to the dark side and said that this plan by the University of Texas is okay. And... Here's why this is so terrible. Not only is it a precursor of the future without Antonin Scalia and the massive void that he uh, had previously filled as the goalkeeper against this kind of bull crap, and he's going to be replaced by a liberal almost certainly under any circumstances unless a miracle happens. But, but here's why it's so terrible on the issue of affirmative action. If all, you, all the liberals in academia need is a crack to get their foot in the door, And once they've got the foot in the door, then they can do whatever they want because no one will call them on it because to call them on it would be inherently racist. And if they if they have a Supreme Court ruling that says you can take an inch, they will take a mile because everyone in the decision making position, just like with regard to immigration. I've talked about this with regard to illegal immigration before. Everybody in a decision-making position in academia is inherently 100% in favor of affirmative action 
except for Asians and whites. But as long as it's for blacks and Hispanics or you some bet. other minority, there are Asians and whites. You, you'll you're not go to college anymore. You're screwed. You're screwed, especially if you happen to be a rich Asian and rich white person. You're completely Forget screwed. It. So the reality of this is that this allows, even in Texas, a foothold for liberal pro affirmative action academics to do whatever they want here in california it's still technically illegal for there to be uh, race-based admissions that doesn't stop them because they know no one's going to call them on it that's right they're all liberals making these decisions they're all pro affirmative action and it's why why we're so screwed now that scalia is dead um when we come back hour number three An hour you will not want to miss because we're going to talk about uh, my preliminary hearing in Pennsylvania and how my quest to get my wife pregnant is related directly to that on hour number three of the John and Leah show. 